0: Welcome to the Today's Market Explained podcast. I am your host, Brian Castle, and with me as always is the amazing co-host, Chris Reardon. Chris is the director of development, and I'm the CEO and founder of Four Star Wealth Advisors. Our promise with this show is to share the most important investment opportunities that we are seeing in ways that are easy to understand and hopefully even easier for you to benefit from so you can make money quickly and easily by investing. Each episode will detail the most important important market updates and how best to benefit from them and we will also be interviewing subject matter experts who can give insights into new and exciting markets and other investment opportunities so to maximize every episode's value please go to todaysmarketexplained.com to download quote 65 investment terms you must know to crush your financial goals unquote trust us this free gift will be your cheat sheet for reaching your financial goals in the shortest possible time and to see all the best and most valuable moments from this episode, please go to Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Now, let's see what's happening in the financial markets. Welcome, everybody, back to the Four Star Podcast. Uh, We are um, very fortunate today to um, have some experts in the futures and commodity uh, world. And uh, we wanted to have a discussion with them about what's going on, about inflation, about Commodities, how folks can invest in those areas. And so uh with me today as part of the crew, uh we've got Tucker Dunn and Chris Reardon, who are with Four Star. I'm Brian Castle, your host. And uh so welcome, guys. Thanks, Brian. Glad to be here. Hey guys. And and our guests today to discuss these subjects are real pros in this in this area. Uh they're they're with Dunn Capital Management. We've got the the CEO, Marty Bergen. Marty, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, glad to be here today.
0: And Jenny Kellums, also with Dunn Capital. So welcome Jenny to the podcast.
2: Thanks for having us, Brian.
0: All right, so so let's have a little discussion. I know Marty, you uh, wanted to have a discussion a little bit about what's going on in, in the futures world and talk a little bit about inflation and why this asset class is something interesting at this time for investors. So um, Marty, take it away.
1: Thanks, Brian. So I don't know how much you know about Dunn Capital, but we're a long-term trend follower. So we've been around for 45 years and inflation is one of those environments where trend following tends to do very well. Now, there aren't too many people in our industry that have actually traded during an inflationary environment. But since we were around in the early 70s, we know what inflation is like from early 70s through the 80s. And what I wanted see. to kind of do is bring you our what how we view inflation and some of the data related to inflation and why trend fine or a CTA is a good allocation to have in this type of environment. So I bring up the first slide, and it's basically a supply and demand uh, data that you see in any kind of textbook. And the key here is this would be market inflation, which I don't really refer to as inflation per se, because this is just driven by supply and demand. So demand goes down, prices go up and vice versa. So you have like demand pool from COVID, which would be toilet paper is in high demand. PPE is in high demand. the real estate market because people aren't selling, so now there's demand for product. This drives prices up, but this is, I think this is what the Fed refers to as transitory because it's market forces that are driving this. And, and trend following does well during this, during a normal environment, because this is what we we act on is when we see price movement in this area, the only data we take is price. So as price is moving up, we get on that trend and ride it. If prices are moving down, we get on that trend and ride it. And we do this in individual markets. So if we go to the next slide, this is where I think real inflation is kicking in. So inflation has to do with monetary policy. So inflation is not price demand type information. Inflation, real inflation has to do with the value of the currency, the fiat currency. So as you flood the market with currency, you are down, you're driving down the value of that currency. That's inflation. That's where every price in every area is going to be driven up because you've devalued the currency. So if you look at the supply and demand. Curves that I showed you before, inflation is where the whole curve is moving up. And this happens in every marketplace, not just in PPE or real estate or anything else. It's it's not really the value of these commodities is going up. It's what you're purchasing the commodities with, the dollar that's going down. That's true inflation.
3: And hey, hey Martin, so we've had, we've been in a very loose monetary environment really since after 0809. 09. Um, so we've had a lot of money flying around, really cheap interest rates. So why are we now just starting to see inflation? Um, and why is it starting to really spike up right now? What do you guys see in there?
1: boy you're making me look smart, Christopher. <laughs> so this is exactly, I've asked the same question. So if you look here, you got the a curve showing you or a chart showing you the, the money supply. And you can see that's the red line. You can see the growth. Now, from 2000 after the financial crisis, that period of time, we basically have seen no inflation whatsoever. I would actually argue there's a deflationary environment because GDP is outgrown inflation. Well, why is that? Well, if you look at the dark curve there, that's the velocity of money. So the velocity of money is how many, when a dollar is put into the economy, how many times does that dollar turn over? So inflation is the amount of money times the velocity of money. That's what drives inflation. So as you've seen the uptick in the money supply that's been put in the marketplace, you've also see a corresponding decrease in the velocity of money. And you've seen this anecdotal by looking at corporate books. I mean, the cash reserves that most corporations have accumulated over the years is huge. Look at the reverse repo with banks. I mean, banks have huge amounts of cash on their books that they're not putting to work, they put back into the Fed. You're talking about over a trillion a day anymore in this reverse repos. Uh, This is astronomical. So if you got the velocity of money going down, as the supply of money goes up, it holds inflation in check. Now, I think what's different now is you're starting to see the velocity of money ticking back up. And you've already got the supply of money that's huge. And if that's the case, 5% year over year inflation is nothing. I mean, you're this is how it started out in the 70s. So I think. This is not transitory. As Milton Freeman says, you know, it's always monetary policy all the time. And that's exactly what's going on now. The other thing that's a little bit scary or eye opening is you see this quote here at the bottom of this slide 40% of the US dollars in existence were printed in the last 12 months. That's just mind boggling what's going on. Yeah. So
0: Marty, if uh, if the inflate if the velocity of money is slowed down dramatically, uh, that that must be that six or seven trillion that the Fed said that they were going to inject into the banks. That money is sitting on the books of the banks, and they're just buying treasuries with it. That's not being lent. It's not well, being
1: right. I mean, it's not just that money. It's all the government spending that's coming out. I mean, you know, since COVID, I think the government's been over. Five trillion dollars. You got the Fed purchasing every Treasury that comes out—not every Treasury, but you know, forty to sixty percent of all the bills yeah. that are issued—is are owned on the Fed's balance sheet. At some point, the Fed is going to start liquidating that. They are going to have to, and banks are going to start putting this money to work. And when that happens, then you're really going to see inflation take off. I mean, we're already starting to see it in the average hourly rate. So. They talk about the wage inflation spiral. Well, that's the beginning of it, is when the wages start going up, the, the problem is inflation is going to go up quicker than wages. Right. And inflation is the tax on the middle class and the poor. I mean, it is the one tax that hits everybody equally.
2: Right.
1: And, you know, the, the wealthy survive inflation. There's no question about it. Um, even certain investments survive inflation. So if we go to the next slide. This is what happens during inflationary regimes. Now, this isn't, we're not determining the inflation regime. There's a source down here at the bottom of the slide. Uh, this is a group that has written a number of papers, and this has been quoted throughout the industry repeatedly. And this is based on their data and based on what they've broken out historically, inflationary regimes. And if you look on this chart, this is the real return. So after being adjusted for inflation, what makes money? So commodities, energies clearly is probably what drives every inflationary environment. We're seeing it now with energy prices. You got industrial commodities, commodities, aggregates, gold, all the way down through. And then if you look at all bonds, their are negative real returns, and make sure you understand that. That doesn't mean that their absolute returns historically were negative because bonds actually did make money in inflationary regimes, mainly because the coupon rate was, was high enough that you were still getting something even though the value of your bonds were falling. I would suggest going forward, that's not going to be the case because coupon rates are so low or at zero interest rate environment. I think the next inflation shock that happens is going to be much different than they were historically, which is something to be very worried about. So, Marty, uh, are rates going to then
0: rise to uh, couple along with that inflation to, to hopefully choke off the inflation? Isn't that what they did in the 70s?
1: Well, it depends on how strong the Fed is. So, in the 70s, initially, they did not rise. So it wasn't until Volcker came into power and he had to get out in front of it. And we had rates that were in the double digits. I mean, mortgage rates on homes that were double digits. Imagine that. Nobody in today's world could even think of that. Um, But Don was actually trading during that environment and doing very well. So think about it. If you look at this from a trend following perspective, these are easy places to make money in commodities when rates are going up. So let's say the inflationary environment averaged 10% and yet energies were up over 40% after adjusting for that inflation. So that's a 50% a year clip in this environment. I mean, uh, this is exactly what trend following was built for. And the other thing about trend following is we don't mind being short markets or long markets. So we make money on the long side, but we can also make money down here in the bond markets on the short side of that equation.
0: Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned that Marty because you know a lot of investors have avoided shorting in the stock market for example and you've heard over the years various uh, securities firms will make proclamations that you know sh- Goldman Sachs that shorting is un-American <laughs> and things like that but but uh but part of that I think has to do with that stocks don't when they crash, they recover generally pretty quickly. And most people are not nimble enough to, to short stocks. But commodities have big moves either way. And so the trends are long. You could see a commodity drop in value 70, 80% from a certain level and then also go up 70, 80% or more. So the trends are, are a lot more solid in commodities. So you can make money on both. Bull- Eyes, right? Make Right,
1: out. Brian. And the other thing that is key to this is it's all about price discovery. Right. I and mean, if you start restricting people from going short, you basically are hiding the price discovery. It's quicker, it's more efficient if people can go short markets or long markets. Right. And that's all, I mean, we're agnostic. We're not betting on anything per se. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if energies are up, we're going to be on the long side of that trade. If energies and- are falling, we're going to be on the short side of that trade. And it doesn't cost any extra to be short within the commodities markets because we're dealing in futures. So mm-hmm. it's just a bet on the future value of whatever it is you're trading. It's pretty straightforward. And and what if you think that that commodity
0: isn't going to move up or down either way? Do you invest at all?
1: So if it's a non-trendy market, which we've seen a lot of in the last five to seven years, which has been very difficult for trend followers, we're going to take some bet. It's just going to be a very small bet. Okay. We will be long or short the market, but we won't have very much conviction, so there won't be much capital put at risk. Um, what we're basically looking for is trends and we ride the trends and when we have losses, we cut the losses short. So what you see is, in reality, we probably have more losing trades than we do winning trades, but the winning trades are significantly larger than the losing trades.
0: Okay. Now, so you that if you're wrong, you cut your losses and move out and then get into a trade that works.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, at some point, every trade, you're better to be long or you're better to be short. And at the point in time where the the system, because it's all systematic, there's no subjective decision making in this. I'm not sitting there looking out the window at the water, going, uh, you know what? I think gold's going to have a good week, so let's buy gold it's just looking at price data and the system determines whether we want to be long or we want to be short. And at whichever point it changes from being long to short, that's when we trade the market.
0: Nice. So what are the opportunities now? Uh, What's trending
1: trending short? Let's look at historically what we see from an inflationary standpoint. So if you look at inflationary environments, which this is the same data from the same group that was pointed out. So I'm not picking the regimes. They're they're determining what the regimes are. Um, you got an average inflation of 10%. So during those environments, stocks have done well. I mean, it's an inflationary environment. Prices are going up. The value of whatever currency is denominated in is going down. So the other thing that's interesting is bonds are also going up, but if you look at it and compare it to the inflation rates, the real returns are negative. Okay. So now look at Dunn during these periods of time. Now this is Dunn who was actually trading during these environments. This is what our performance was. Now you gotta understand technology today is much better than it was then. The computer computing power is better, the data is better. Our understanding of risk is better. So we have implemented things in the system that improve the system over time. Now, the other thing to understand, the reason I put in done the hypothetical returns is, there's two things I want people to understand. One of the things that's happened in our industry because of the poor performance over the last seven years has been this move to become less trend following, right? So that they can make money during a non-trending environment So how many of our competitors are actually still doing trend following? I don't know, but we are very conscious of this drift that can occur. So we make an effort to make sure that anything we change is still, we're trend following, we're still doing what our our core strengths are. So that's why the hypothetical is, and obviously the hypothetical is going to be better than the actual performance it would be expected to be. Then, if you look over here, if we look at portfolios that are the normal 60, 40 stocks bonds, which I think there's some thought process out there that maybe 40% bonds isn't the place to be, especially in zero interest rates, I would definitely say find a replacement for that. Um, But this is the only thing we have to go on historically. Now, if you look at the low inflation environment, now you're talking about. A, just a normal run of the bill where GDP and inflation kind of run lockstep with each other. Uh, stocks have done well, bonds do well, done's done well. Everybody's done well, even though we've been from risk-adjusted performance, stocks and bonds do better than we do. But if you look at it over here by adding it to your portfolio, it's still an improvement. That's just because the correlation is basically zero and we provide that extra decrease in volatility, decrease in drawdown type effect. It's a hedge to your portfolio without really costing you anything. It actually improves your performance. Now, if you look at what they call stable, which I would call deflationary. So understand this environment here is where the GDP is actually moving up faster than inflation. So it's a deflationary environment. Again, stocks have done fine, but it's it's a deflationary environment. So you would expect stocks or prices to fall, bonds have done fine, they're they're both doing better than the inflation, and done is done fine in these environments. From a risk adjusted performance, it's not as good as the other two. But when you add it to the equation, it definitely improves your risk adjusted rate of return. Now Why that is, I'm not really sure, but go ahead, Brian. I was going to say, so
0: this makes the case that uh, now everyone's focused on futures and commodities because of the inflationary environment, and commodities are acting better on the long side. But this makes the case, you probably could add this type of investing in most environments, not just this environment today. Um, we're We're in that mode now because of what people see. Uh, but maybe you could have this kind of investment as a diversification all the time.
1: Right. We think it should be a core allocation because it's too difficult to time. I mean, at what point do you decide, oh, it's an inflationary environment, I'm going to put it in? And then you also have to understand trim calling to be lumpy. So you right. might have a couple of months where you don't do well after you've made that allocation, and now you think, oh, I timed it wrong, I'm going to liquidate just before right. it starts kicking in. So it's one of those things, I'm sure you talk to your investors all the time about it, is it's just a core allocation that you reallocate periodically to, to bring everything back in balance. And I I think that's really the way to look at it. Um, From my personal standpoint, I'm basically all in the commodity space because I know what's going on, I trust it. I've been doing it, I don't charge myself any fees. And then I do have a small allocation to equities and mm-hmm. real estate. Nothing at all in the bond environment. So, Marty, the, the average investor out there
0: might think that there's actually like higher risk in commodities. And they they've heard, you know, gold has big moves and oil now is up 40% this year, gasoline prices. And so there's a sense that there's more risk, but because of the the fact that the correlation, um, the price movement between different asset classes is different, uh, it actually in some cases can lower the risk. Oh, no, we over.
1: absolutely agree with that. So we're we're absolutely on a standalone basis, we're more volatile than most other investments. But mm-hmm. by adding that volatility to your portfolio, you actually reduce the portfolio's volatility right. because of the non-correlation. And then right. the other thing is if you're looking at individual markets. As you were stating, uh, that's no place for the average investor to be playing. I mean, the one thing we have going for us is we have a portfolio of over 50 different markets, geographically diverse, sector diverse, which gives you a little control over the volatility, and then we can manage that. Okay. An individual investor can never manage that. To get a A whole portfolio in place. It it requires ten million dollars, right? And if anything short of that, you're taking risks that you don't understand. You can lose more than you put in in this market. So we see those
0: commercials uh, from Goldline. You know, call me and buy some gold, and and then all kinds of talk about Bitcoin and cryptos and all these things. And and maybe that's more speculation. And if you're really an investor you need to be part of like an organized trend following futures program which is basically what you guys are doing
1: exactly exactly yeah. I, I would never dabble in one particular market like that so don't don't try this at home right you no, saying not at all <laughs> don't ever try this at home
0: right so, interesting so well a lot of people a lot of people it, are doing that now, so we'll see how how that works out for folks um <laughs> So uh do you have any more thoughts, Marty, for us? I know Jenny. I think Tucker had a question. Tucker,
3: yeah, go ahead, Tucker. Yeah, real yeah, absolutely. Real quick, sorry to interrupt. Um, so I was just wondering uh if you know, through throughout all of these different allocations to commodities and stuff like that, obviously you said um, you know, it's it commodities can be pretty intimidating to certain investors for sure. And you know, obviously we go through different periods of Inflation over time. So is there something like if you're using some type of asset class tracker, will you cycle out of do you you ever fully cycle out of commodities when they're just not doing very well or do you always try to keep some form of commodities in the mix.
1: OK, so we allocate the risk equally to every single market we trade. So we don't look at markets as if they're in sectors. We just look at markets as a standalone a place where there's opportunity to make money. Because every market, there's always the opportunity to trend. We never know when that trend's going to start. So risk is always allocated to every market equally. Now, what will happen if you got sectors or markets that aren't trending, we tend to take very low conviction in those markets because our strengths of the directional move are very low. So we would have very little of that risk allocated. And we don't, if we're not allocating risk one place, we don't turn around and give it to another market. We just, it's unused risk. Okay. And that keeps us in check And so when you have a spike of volatility or a market that begins to trade, for instance, energy, before it starts trending, everybody thinks it's doing nothing. And then it starts trending. And you've got the allocation, the strength will start picking up. And then you start getting a larger and larger allocation to that particular market. So the system is designed in where it manages those exact things you were talking about, Tucker.
3: Got it. Thank you.
1: So,
0: Tuck, as a, as a follow-up to that question, so if if the commodities aren't trending upward, they could be trending downward and there's a trade there either way.
1: Right. But there again, you could also have the whole conviction issue where if it's trading downward slightly, it's kind of going back and forth between the up days and down days. I mean, there really isn't a trend there. So Okay, conviction becomes smaller and smaller and smaller, and you end up allocating less and less capital to that type of trade. You're not changing the amount of risk that you're allocating. It's just the amount of capital that you're putting at work in that trade. Is so smaller.
0: to to higher conviction trend, trades.
1: It, that's exactly right. I mean, that's why I say you end up making money on a few very good trades throughout the period of time that you're looking at very Unless interesting now energies has been a really good trade and equity indexes has been a good trade for the last right. year. now that one becomes very difficult because you tell everybody you're not correlated to equities and yet we have a very long exposure to equities so when that spike down happens we get hurt so right even though that's why I tell people we're not oppositely correlated, we're non-correlated. doesn't mean when equities go down, we're going to go up. We're going to get hurt in that trade, but hopefully we'll be making money in other markets around those trades because there's a reason why you have that spike down in equities and maybe it's the energy prices, maybe it's inflation that's showing up in the markets. Well, we're making money in all those other markets, so that could offset those losses. And at some point, we get short equities. So that brings okay. me up to my next slide because let's say the government's able to keep inflation in check. So how are they gonna do that? Fed's gonna raise interest rates. Uh, maybe they'll stop supporting treasuries. Maybe the government will cut back on spending. Whatever is required, they gotta suck um, money out of the system. Higher taxes, all these type of things can happen. So if they stop inflation, basically they create recessionary environment. The longer the period of recession is, the better trend following in CTAs do. Mm -hmm. So I'm one of those people that believes that the Fed and the government has been just pushing this ball down the road they're stretching this rubber band that's ready to snap at some point. So, how big or how long, how deep will the next recession be? Right. And if you look at the time span between recessions, that kind of gives you an idea of, you know, how bad these events can be, especially when there's a long time period between events. Right. And it's kind of scary to look at this s and p and it is just a straight line mm-hmm.
0: so the longest the tech bubble was the longest recession longest period, and so that's when the there was better performance from trend following on the future side, both ways.
1: yeah, yeah, that's great. I mean, I suspect a lot of that had to be had to do with being short the equity markets. Right now we're not short individual names we're short the indices or indices yeah right right and uh, and I suspect that during these periods of time we were also long bonds mm-hmm. because interest rates fell during those environments which value of the bond goes up and mm-hmm. then we make money on that is that going to happen next time
3: mm-hmm.
1: I you know I don't know the answer to that okay
0: Marty and, Jenny, do you guys, when you initiate these positions, do you use direct futures contracts for these accounts, or do you use ETFs that
1: own futures? No, this is all in the futures market. So we're right. d- trading directly with regulated exchanges throughout the world, the futures contracts themselves.
0: OK. So no. know well, a involved. lot of folks are trading the ETFs of those futures, so that's been a recent you know, That's maybe fifteen years,
1: right? But so if you, it's not very efficient use of capital to trade the ETS because the futures market has what is called built-in leverage. So we're not borrowing money to hold futures contracts, but the futures contract is a good faith deposit on that you you will perform to the terms of that contract, and so you are only required to put about twenty percent of the capital down to hold those futures. And then the rest of the money is allocated to a third-party money management firm, which you know, I get, we get confirmations of every trade that's made, and the money itself is held at Pershing, so it's independent of that firm. They don't have any custody over it. So at any given time, we can liquidate that account and bring it right back into the broker. But what we want to do is manage our counterparty risk, so we don't want the broker to hold the money, we don't want to hold the money, so it's held in a, another account, basically, right. on behalf of the fund. And okay. then we can liquidate that at any point. Now, that gets us out of the, you know, a money market blow up or some, somebody breaking the buck or the SEC coming in and shutting down the ability to have liquidity, mm-hmm. which makes the strat- strategy, you, know, you can't function without that liquidity. Sure.
0: Hey Marty, I think uh, Jenny had uh, some comments that she was going to make as well on on the investing part of this, right? Jenny. Yep.
2: Sure. I we can talk about that. And uh, there's several different ways to access um, this pooled account, whether it's directly uh, with a partnership as a K one structure, monthly liquidity for accredited investors at a hundred thousand minimum. We also have a mutual fund that has exposure. Uh, Two our longstanding uh, WMA program that has been trading since 1984. So there's there's multiple ways there. Uh, the best thing to do is talk to your financial advisor, and we're happy to to walk along what would be best for for the individual person.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you. We uh, you know we we do a lot of individual investors uh, that are that work with us as well, and and many people in the general public will see this as well. So as you said. It's important to speak to your financial advisor, and this uh, discussion we had here really is not an offer to buy or sell any securities. Uh, you really have to do that in concert with your financial professional and what's appropriate for your personal circumstance. But um, this is really certainly an interesting way that investors can participate. Um, any other thoughts, uh, Jenny or?
2: No, I think you you said it perfectly. You know, Dan, we're really. Um, very invested in our clients, and as we've mentioned before, very client-centric. We've never charged a management fee or just zero and twenty-five, and we would really like to work alongside the the advisor and then Vigil to do as much education and consulting because for us, we really want it to be a long-standing relationship where everybody um, is able to win and and profit off of that investment. So we really look at it as kind of a partnership with uh, the people that we work with.
0: Excellent. Well, and and uh, you know, when we sat down a few weeks back to discuss, to rediscuss and kind of reintroduce to to Dunn Capital, uh, the thing that struck me so much is that four star and our investment management team does trend following in all other markets as well. Uh, we're not as detailed in the futures and commodity areas as as your programs would be. So this could be in addition to the things that our investors are doing or investors are doing with their other. Financial advisors. So, um, and the fact that you're trend following, you know, over the years, we've seen many different uh, strategies, you know, book values and, you know, high dividend stocks, all these different ways to pick names. But trend following, we found, seems to be the best way uh, to make positive gains in the market as long as you minimize the losses of the trends that go the other way. Uh, And so, we're drawn to Trend Following and we really like what what you guys are doing in the futures area. And uh, so we wanted to make sure that all the investors out there got a chance to talk to you guys. And uh, we're we're proud that you uh, agreed to be part of the Four Star Podcast, the Today's Market Explained Podcast.
2: Well, thank so you for having us.
0: Thank you and thank you Jenny, thank you Marty uh, for and the I think
1: I think what you guys are doing is great. I mean, I really do. Part of the education of the average investor and just investors in general is really something that's been lacking over the years. And I think you guys have really picked it up and it, you know, it's quite a benefit to everybody. So thank you.
0: Yeah, well thank you. I, I think so too. I think uh, you know, education is really the key. And like I was saying before, um, we haven't seen a positive commodity trend in mass. Since a little bit of movement in 2015, and then a big commodity trend in 2010, um, but and that's why most investors haven't really looked at this, except for buying gold from those crazy commercials, or maybe uh-huh. buying, buying some Bitcoin, right? Which has been kind uh-huh. of a hot. Um, but you know, the, the thought process though that managed futures and uh, being involved in trend following in the managed futures area doesn't need to be only when the commodity markets are going up, but that's when we tend to look at it because most investors aren't working the short side. If commodities are going down, they're not. They're not involved in that generally. Uh, as we said, don't try this at home. So we only seem to look at this area when commodities are going up, and so that. And so here we are, <laughs> and we're I looking agree. at. That's the trend, but this is something investors can carry in their portfolio pretty much at all times, and there's and there's added value to doing it.
1: So I agree.
0: Yeah, well, this has really been great.
3: Uh, Chris and Tucker, any uh, last thoughts before we? Oh, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, think all <laughs> <you guys> are, <laughs> I think what you guys are doing is really great, and I think um, you know there there certainly is a place in um, an investor's portfolio for this, and I think like you you touched on um, Martin that. You know it is a volatile asset class, but you know when you get into these high inflation environments, you know sometimes that's what you need an allocation towards to really help, uh, because being in bonds and being in certain asset classes just doesn't fit in certain environments, just specifically high inflation. So um, I think it's very um, important with where we're at right now, um, and it's it's a it's a good topic to cover right now. Excellent, Tucker. Yeah, yeah. I mean basically stole what I was going to say. Um, I think, you know, I, I, I find it very interesting as, as someone who doesn't have a ton of experience in the, uh, futures area. And, you know, as, as seeing this as be one of the big, um, inflationary periods that I've gone through, it's, it's interesting to see how they work together. Um, and how they, like you said, they're not negatively correlated. They're just not necessarily correlated. Um, so it's, it's a very different way to invest. And I think, you know, based on some of the charts and things that you've shown us, it seems like a really good way to diversify, which, you know, we're, we're pretty big here on at Four Star. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think I, I appreciate you guys taking the time to show us. Yes.
0: Yes. Thank you. Well, and, and, and many of the investors, uh, Tucker, are in the same position that you are kind of learning this area. Um, And, you know, if investors did do commodities in the last big up cycles, maybe they forgot what they did. It's been, you know, a long time. So, uh, you know, so we're all learning and the key is education. So again, thanks for being with us, Marty and Jenny on the four-star podcast. We'll leave it there. And uh, we look forward to our investors uh, watching the next episode. We'll entitle this one, Uh, Episode six of Inflation is All the Rage. Thanks for everybody for being with us today. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about maximizing your stock market returns with the least amount of time and effort, please go to todaysmarketexplained.com and download our free guide on the 65 investment terms you must know to crush your financial goals. If you felt any benefit from this episode, please leave us a five star review on iTunes and share this with anyone you think will also find value and benefit from this. And please follow today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube to see all the short video clips covering the most valuable moments from today's episode. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. We can't wait to tell you everything we're seeing in the financial investment markets. This podcast is provided by Four Star Wealth Advisors for the general uh, public and general information purposes only. The information is not considered to be an offer to buy or sell any securities or investments. Investing involves the risk of loss and investors should be prepared to bear potential losses. Investments should only be made after thorough review with your investment advisor, considering all factors, including personal goals, needs, and risk tolerance. Four Star is an sec registered investment advisor maintains a principal business in the state of illinois the firm may only transact business in states in which it's notice filed or qualifies for a corresponding exemption from such requirements for information about four stars registration status and business operations please consult the firm's form adv disclosure documents the most recent versions of which are available on the sec's investment advisor public disclosure website at www.advisorinfo.sec.gov